0: Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 48. It's great to be with you today as I'm recording this. I have passed that official two-week mark after the second shot, so I am as vaccinated as possible possibly can be at this moment in time uh, against the coronavirus, and so I'm, I'm very happy about that, and also happy to just, all, it seems like every day I'm reading reports of shows planning to come back in September or, or October, and New York theaters opening um, really in a matter of weeks, so this is, of course, this is great news, this is especially great news for the people that I interview, the people who make a living in the pit. Well, we have a rather different episode today. The guest comes from Las Vegas. I'll be talking to Rochelle Collins. She's had several great roles in some theater productions. She's been uh, Cinderella in Into the Woods. She's been Laurie in Oklahoma. She's been in Fiddler on the Roof and The Fantastics, um, and quite a few more, several operas. But uh, we'll talk very little about that today, uh, we're going to talk about what she's been doing for the past 19 years, living in Las Vegas, and that has been as a company member of Cirque du Soleil. Now, if you've taken an interest in this show, and yet somehow you don't know what Cirque du Soleil is, don't worry, we will talk about that in the show, We will, we'll, we'll catch you up. Uh, Most likely, though, you have heard of Cirque du Soleil and you may have even seen a performance. Rochelle has been in two separate shows of theirs. uh, She got her start in Mystère, and most recently, she's been a performer in Ka. Rochelle is the very first professional vocalist that we have had as a guest on Life in the Pit. Um, We haven't talked much about Pit vocalists before, but um, it is a thing. Sometimes, in addition, in a traditional show, you might have uh, vocalists in the pit with the orchestra with a microphone to strengthen the sound of the ensemble on stage. Um, Rochelle's a little different than that. She is an onstage performer, and sometimes uh, like flying above the stage, <laughs> if we so I guess we could say overstage and onstage performer. Uh, but she has kind of a unique perspective because sometimes she's in the background. She's not... Um, she's providing music for other things that are happening in Cirque du Soleil. And in that instance, she becomes a pit musician. So she's she has that unique perspective. Plus, she's just going to talk about what it's like being in one of the most famous international non-animal circus shows around, Cirque du Soleil. So... Let's hear what she has to say, and please welcome my guest, Rochelle Collins. Rochelle, thank you for taking time to talk to me today.
1: Absolutely, thank you.
0: Um, what is it that you do, and where are you located?
1: I am a singer with Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas, Nevada.
0: Nice. I'm sure. I'm sure there are listeners of the podcast and that are going to be saying, "Oh, you know, they're they're going to be Cirque du Soleil." I, I can't wait to hear about that. I always assume there's probably at least a few that are like, I've heard of Cirque du Soleil, seen it on, seen the name on a poster or, or whatever, but I've never, you know, never watched any of it. What is Cirque du Soleil? How do you explain that to newbies? Well, Cirque
1: du Soleil, it's a uh, Canadian based um, circus performing group um, originating out of um, Quebec, Montreal. Um, and uh it's circus without animals. It's circus that's uh, more about what the human body is capable of doing rather than the traditional old school circus um, where uh, you know, it involved elephants and lions and things like that. Right. So um, it's all about humans and, and the strength of the human body. And it's about um, music and uh, the human voice.
0: Right. Um, so in a performance of Cirque du Soleil, Just how, how would your role fit into that? So I guess there, there are dancers or acrobats or that are doing their thing and are you singing, is it like on stage or in a pit perspective? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So the show that I'm, I currently um, do, um, is Ka. It's at MGM. Mm -hmm. Um, and before that it was Miss Dare, um, at Treasure Island. That's where I started. Um, And so the singers um, in those two shows are um, positioned with the band. Um, In Mystere, the band is separated onto two different platforms, one on stage left, one on stage right, above the stage. Um, And the singers are on one of the platforms as well, uh, usually with the percussionist and the drummer. Um, And they're there for pretty much the whole show. I think there's just one time in there's a couple times in the show, including the very beginning and the entrance where the singers enter from the main stage and then make their way up to the platform. And then there's another area where the uh, singer, one of the singers comes down to the main stage um, to sing behind one of the acts. And then in Ka, um, the singer is kind of all over the place, starts out on stage um, and then continues and does some tracks from the pit, from the studio. And now the whole band is actually at the bottom of the theater in a pit, and the theater is, I think, nine stories high, wow. um, a series of uh, levels and, and lifts, um, so the singer sings from the pit with the musicians, but also on stage, and also backstage in the wings, and then is, uh, also on um, from a vine, quote-unquote a vine, it's a big piece of metal piping, and um, at one point, the singer gets um, suspended from the vine, it's, I think it's 60 feet in the air, and tracked out onto the stage and sings some acts and then tracks back out on the vine and then gets released from the vine and continues the show from backstage and on stage as well.
0: Nice. So (laughs) it sounds like a, you have a a mix of times where you might be kind of a featured performer where people, you know, in the audience are listening to you sing and they're fully aware of it. But it also sounds like a lot of times you're basically like a vocalist in a live film score and that uh, there's, the eyes are elsewhere but you're you're providing the ambiance you know the, the, along with the with the band yeah
1: that's and that's a great way to to describe it yes it's very much um part of the ambiance it's ethereal um it's it's background um to right. what's happening but you might then there are points uh, of interest in the show where the singer is more featured and there's a spotlight you know um uh, there's still a bunch of acrobatic stuff going on all around the singer and other musicians too. The guitarist has several moments where he has spotlights on stage while he's, you know, playing while other things are going on. So, um, yeah, that's true. On stage and off stage, both highlighted and also just kind of blending into the background.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, I wanted to to establish, you know, kind of the just looking at what you do uh, and relating that to, you know, being with the pit and so forth, because this is life in the pit. And, um, so the purpose of our, our podcast, you know, actually might as well remind the listeners who knows, it might be their first episode. Uh, we focus on the pit musician experience. So, uh, those who play primarily for musical theater, but sometimes for opera and ballet. And this is our first look at Cirque du Soleil. And you are the first vocalist that I have interviewed before, because normally we're talking about instrumentalists in the pit. Sure. But, um, you know, you, you have kind of a very unique connection. You can talk about the, the pit vocalist, but also in a rather spectacular and unique environment. So looking forward to kind of we'll come back to that. We'll talk a little bit more about what rehearsals and performances look like. But uh, let's backtrack. Where are you from originally and how did you get into music?
1: So, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Um, Originally, I was born in Missoula, Montana. Um, And then I moved to Seattle, I think, at the age of three or four with my family. Um, And I was born into a family of musicians. My father was the resident baritone with the Seattle Opera for Mm. a number of years while I grew up, and my mother um, performed musical theater. My dad, as well, performed musical theater on and off. and they met actually in college at the University of Montana, both music majors. Um, my dad um, co-founded a Missoula Children's Theater with a fellow, a fellow named Jim Karen, And um, they um, that was sort of one of their projects for, for many years. Uh, my dad left it for a while and then went back. Um, it's under different leadership now, but so he, you know, he was really instrumental in, in my exposure to theater and to music. Uh, both my parents were. My mom as well. She was um, multi-instrumentalist, guitar, flute. Um, she also was a singer. Um, my dad also played guitar. So, um, you know, at a very early age, I was singing complete songs and nursery rhymes to my baby brother. I, I think I have a recording of me when I was three years old singing complete songs oh, nice. <laughs> for me and you know memorized in pitch so um and then you know as i grew up i performed with my parents um i performed in some community theater i studied music and theater in high school um and then i didn't go to college right away i waited for a while but once i did finally go to college i i went as a music major and i attended the um Lionel Hampton School of Music at the University of Idaho
0: you know one of my favorite science fiction stories, like, you know, type of story is where someone makes a decision and the alternate decision plays out in, an, in another universe. And, you know, and like maybe you could go yeah. visit and see how your life turned out. Uh, so uh-huh. when I was looking at grad school, so I'm, a, I'm from Florida and I chose North Carolina School of the Arts for my grad school. But the other school that was very interested was the University of Idaho. <laughs> and, hey. and and uh, that was uh, late 90s. You know, it was just funny. I almost went there to do a master's of music composition. Uh, or I, sh- I shouldn't say I almost went there. I didn't really, you know, when, when you're in North, when you're in Florida, it's like, well, there's North Carolina that's 600 miles away. And then there's North, there's Idaho, which is like. 2500 miles away (laughs) it was uh it was one of those I I would have to I'd have to be it would have to be like not even competition you know for me to to do that but I have often thought if I'd moved you know to Idaho would put me on the west coast you know or closer to the west coast than I than I am uh but I've I've never really actually talked to someone from the University of Idaho before who's been there as a student, so that's that's very neat.
1: <laughs> I really, um, I really got really lucky there. I mean, uh, the School of Music is a it's got a fantastic program, mm-hmm. and um, at the time it had a great uh, vocal department as well. Um, I'm not sure how things stand now, but when I was there, um, it, everything that I had was from theater to percussion to um, voice. Uh, um, theory, RL skills, all of that, in my opinion, top notch, and, and you know, ultimately got me to where I am today.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I was able to find a few videos on on YouTube, um, just to kind of uh, familiarize myself with you. And I think uh, it was from a distance, I couldn't tell. It looks like you, did you sing the Star Spangled Banner for a Padres game, San Diego Padres? Okay, yeah, I saw that. And then I saw a brief, uh, a brief interview you did with somebody you talked about, Um, You talked about the uh, University of Idaho and uh, and and I'm going to have you kind of recap that story. So you were there when you were when you got discovered for Cirque du Soleil, right?
1: Yes, I was still attending school um, and uh, I was performing in the annual jazz festival. It happens every February Um, under the direction of Dan Buckvitch, he's the percussion professor there at uh, U of I and um, he wrote um, an African mass um, that he had me um, perform a solo in and yes it's the jazz festival but um, really anything that comes out of Buckvitch's you know um, toolkit with regards to his compositions anything goes at the jazz festival and so this was a really cool piece that had a lot of neat percussion breaks, but it also had full you know, choir and, and soloist. So anyway, I performed that, and um, a guy who was a friend of, of my percussion professor, Dan Buckvich, and also an alum of U of I, um, was there to, to view the Jazz Festival. He goes back every year to see it. And um, he, he saw me, and he lived at that point, and he still does, I believe, in Las Vegas. He was a, a gig musician here in Las Vegas. And uh, he just asked Buckfitch what my story was, and he said, I think she, you know, she's gonna graduate soon. And he said, Well, tell her she should audition for Cirque de Soleil. There's I think she'd be great. Now he wasn't a scout for Cirque, but he was, like I said, a working musician here. And he happened to know the band leader of Miss at the time, and he happened to live like down the street from him or next door to him. So um, so he'd mentioned this to um, Dan Buckfitch and then and then you know, Buckfitch eventually got around to me and asked if I had heard of Cirque, and I said, Well, yes, and he said, well, my my friend, you know, who lives in Vegas, you know, uh, Tom Lyons, he was here, he's an alum, and he thinks that you'd be great and and um, that you should audition. I said, well, you know, give me his number. And long story short, it took a long time for him to give me his number. And and then finally I called and, and I talked to him over the phone and he said, yeah, I think you would be great. I'm not with Cirque, but, you know, you send me an audition packet and they'll hand it off to the right people at the right time. And I said, well, what goes into that? And he said, a headshot, r- resume, and, you know, a... a tape of you performing, preferably live. And um, so I sent in that. Uh, this was an audio tape that was on a cassette tape mm-hmm. <laughs> that I right. pieced together myself <laughs> from various live recitals and performances that I had done um, there at the University of Idaho. Um, and I sent it in I sent one to Montreal as well, to the Cirque du Soleil headquarters, sent one to Vegas Connection and... I think I sent one to a stage manager at, Oh, my brother's a performer in New York. And he said he knew the stage manager or a stage manager at that point in Oh, so I sent one to him. And, um, I heard back, um, eventually from the band leader of Mystere. He called me personally and, and said that he liked what he heard and he wants to hear more and let's set up an audition. And, um, so, um, again, this is months and months go by. I think we're now, you know, maybe six months to a year into this. And, uh, he wants me to come out for an audition. So, um, but first I have to submit a demo with m- me recording my vocals over some mystery music. Mm-hmm. So they sent me a, a kit, you know, a demo kit, uh, which is a CD. And, um, I had a, a, musician recording friend of mine help me, you know, cause I'm, I don't know the whole like, engineering, you know, sort of backstage of, mm-hmm. of music and recording. So anyway, I had help with that and um, had somebody help me record my vocals Over the top and sent that in and they had me come out for an audition. I had to pay my way um, and, you know, pay my airfare and and hotel and I did really well and I was told that I did really well but I didn't get the part because um, they used somebody who was already in house who was Mm -hmm. um, a sub vocalist over at O. And so they, she was done being a sub at O. So they moved her to Dare. So she got the gig at Mystere for a year and a year later, she decided to get married and move away. So a year later, they called me again and said, the part is up again. Would you please come back for another audition? Wow. And uh, this time they paid my way and it was different. And, um, and I got the gig.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's one of those, uh, overnight successes that that took a couple of years.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's like a two-year process, really, from right. the beginning to. Yeah.
0: Nice, nice. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, you're you're there, but you're brand new. You've got to learn the show. So, what is the rehearsal process like uh, for any musician at Cirque du Soleil?
1: So, um, typically, the uh, any new musician does have to go to Montreal for training. Mm -hmm. actually, I think everybody does. I don't know if that's still the way it is, but um, so I, they had me fly to, they had me go to Montreal. This was in December or January. Mm -hmm. And um, by the way, when I got word that they wanted me, I was, um, it was Christmas break from school and I was traveling on a road trip and traveling around and I checked my voicemail and my email and found out that they wanted to send me a contract. And so that was a huge scramble too, to try to get to a computer and sign a contract and then they said we need you like now and so I had to cut my trip short and go back and pack up what I could and anyway so I went to Montreal and I think it was a two-week training process and I worked with a vocal coach at that point um, and they had given me a recording of the music yeah they had given me a recording of all the music to learn but nothing written I didn't get anything in writing like a score um, until I got to Montreal and by then I already I had already learned it all right <laughs> so. That was fine though, because I could double check, you know, I learned something wrong. Um, so it was a, in the, really the training process was also, you know, to take care of, um, of details like, you know, they had to take measurements and and I had to have my uh, cast done of my head so that they could, you know, fit a wig properly onto my head. And mm. everybody, all new artists have a plaster casting mold of, done of their head their skull. Um, so it was that type of thing too. It was measurements and, um, you know, working out the, the costume wardrobe details and working out, you know, getting a health profile going, um, making sure that you're, you know, you're healthy and you don't have any pre-existing conditions. Um, and then beyond that, just working with a coach. And so I think two weeks after I may have left a little early, um, because I was ready, they, they had me go to, to, um, back to Vegas and, um, I didn't like, I wasn't like thrown into the show right away. And I recall, I think there was a week maybe of uh, what's called sort of your, your probation period. It may have been a couple of months of probation period, but, but I, I mean, I was on stage, you know, within a week, I think actually singing the whole show.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. A week. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, is that's amazing. Uh, such a long, such a long process to yeah. get there and then to get your health and your costume and, and yeah. then a week later on. Yeah. Uh, so how was learning the music that I assume that, did you have, did you have to learn it on your own? Or did you have like prescribed times, you know, with a music director?
1: I learned it on my own.
0: Well <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I did. I mean, they did have prescribed times for me. Um, and it wasn't really a music director. She was a coach more. And, um, that was at the in on the Montreal side of things but on my own before I even left to go to Montreal I just I just learned it I
0: just
1: get it get it you know known and so you know incorporated so and it was all just by ear and then like I said once I got there I had actual physical music not just all by ear I think they did send me I think they sent me um like a lyric sheet, lyric sheets to the songs, which is gibberish by the way, but you still have to learn the gibberish. You can't just make up your own, you know, gibberish on the spot. So, right. um, it was all phonetically, you know, spelled. And, uh, so I learned, I think using the lyrics, the lyric sheet as well.
0: Nice. Uh, so I was going to ask some things, you know, about, you know, just performing, but I think at this point I'm going to switch to, I do have some, uh, uh, just a few questions from Facebook. Uh, that I solicited. And okay. uh, I think I'll, I'll bring these up. I, I I didn't like vet these in advance. <laughs> uh, some of them we may have already answered. But um, here's the first one. This is from John. And he, he says, I'd be curious how much click they use. Yeah,
1: yeah. pretty much constant. Yeah, pretty much constant click track. Um, both Mystera and Ka, I can only think of a couple of numbers where there is no click because there's just so much rubato And it's so depends on what's happening on stage. Um,
0: uh,
1: But yeah, it's pretty much constant click. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And the second part of his question was, I've always wondered how much of their orchestrations are live versus sweeteners. So like, are all the instruments live?
1: Yeah. Yes. I, yes, pretty much most of the instrumentation, most of what you hear is live. Um, I mean, a lot of what you hear too are sampled sounds, you know, there's, I, both Mr. and Ka have two keyboards, um, two, two keyboard players, I should say, key one and key two. Um, and um, even in Ka, the accordion was, um, uh, at certain points, MIDI accordion. And so it also used samples. Um, so you could get string patches and hammer, dulcimer sounds and things like that, out of accordion, etc. Um, and then, you know, the, the instrumentation, by and large, is live and happening, you know, as you hear it, there's some pre-recorded, um, we, I, I guess we call it padding pad. It's like a, it's especially in ka there's sort of a, a, a lull underneath a lot of things, a pad of, right. of instrumentation. It's kind of just ethereal in the background. Um, and then there is a pre-recorded, um, men's choir, um, I think from Montreal that's, that, um, accompanies some of, uh, one of the main um numbers called um, battle in Ka. Okay. so you hear a bunch of you know a huge men's chorus and no there's not a giant men's chorus in the pit
0: right <laughs> that's,
1: that's a pre-recorded thing yeah
0: so yeah it's a, it sounds a little bit like um i previously it's actually uh yeah this question ca- came from John Eldridge who was a guest on my show and um we talked a lot about keyboard programming and we talked about like mamma mia the like a lot of the vocal harmonies is in the keyboard part it's been pre-recorded and is triggered by Uh, by the keyboard itself so sounds like that uh Cirque du Soleil is doing some of that as well so
1: and Ableton is heavily used now it wasn't when i first started but now Ableton is pretty much across the board with all the shows
0: great butch has a couple of questions here and uh the the second one's pretty funny the first one is uh who who writes the material um, and, and the second is does it change as the show evolves and different performers dislocate limbs etc or does it stay the same <laughs>
1: oh, yeah'll I'll take the second question first so it does change mm-hmm. it absolutely does change depending on when people are out and injured mm-hmm. um, uh, sometimes, most of the time every act is in the show, but sometimes like an entire act will have to be omitted in you know during a show because there's technical difficulties. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we'll jump, we'll completely jump from, you know, one segment to the to the next. Um and then, you know, in Ka especially, it really is, you know, it's from the from the musician standpoint in the pit, we're wearing either in-ear monitors or headphones we're looking at a giant big screen monitor and watching the show live on this giant big screen monitor. And it's basically like we're playing live to like what right. this basic film score. Yeah. Oh, various people compose um, music in Cirque. Um, Mister, uh is Benoit Joutra and um, Ka is Rene
0: Dupree. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great.
1: I don't know the rest of the composers, but those are the ones that I do know and that I should know and I will never forget again.
0: Right. <laughs> Okay, uh, so Harlan Harlan is the only one who asks some questions here, but and he asked quite a few. But uh, I think we can get to all of them. So the first one, simple, is: um, Do subs exist? Do you do the instrumentalists have subs? Yes. Okay.
1: So um, subs do exist to a to a point. There are certain instruments that. Don't have subs and the vocalists don't have subs. Right. So uh, the vocalists um, are on track. So if a vocalist is out sick, um, you hear a recording of the vocalist track. Whereas, for instance, the guitarist, the bassist, um, drummer, you know, the the musical director, um, all of those guys have backups. You know, there's a backup musical director, there's a backup drummer, backup guitarist. Um, The accordion player had a backup for a while, and then they just started, they incorporated all of his stuff on Ableton, so um, the accordion didn't even have a live backup anymore. They just used Ableton. Incidentally, uh, they did pare down um, in uh, just right before the pandemic hit, towards the end of 2019, and they got rid of uh, one of the singers in Ka and the accordion player and decided to only use Ableton tracks.
0: Oh okay, um, yeah. yeah,
1: that was for you know uh, financial reasons.
0: Uh, p- parallels what Broadway's doing. So <laughs> pits are smaller. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: Um, second question is: Do the majority of of the musicians who come to Cirque uh, do they already have pit experience? Have they played in the theater before? Um.
1: Yeah, a lot of them have. Yes, uh, the musical director of Ka, um comes from New York, and um, he's a composer as well. And he's written Broadway musicals. Um, he's written musicals. One of them, to my knowledge, has been on Broadway. It's called Bandstand. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Nice. Uh huh. Yep. As well, several other musicals. So he's big time musical theater, um, you know, composer, uh, musical director, um, and then several other people um, have had, you know, they've been, they've been gig musicians. They've either right. been in musical theater or they've been on cruise ships, you know, or they've been gig musicians.
0: Right. Great. Yeah. Uh, are these next two questions kind of run together. Is the scoring similar to theater? Like, does it have vamps? And are there any control, are there any control structures like a vamp that are unique to the environments, things that, uh, you know, that we don't have to deal with in a standard in a theater production,
1: so the, say that again. Is is it similar to musical theater in that with the vamping?
0: I, I get. I guess are there control structures like uh, like do measures repeat over and over like a vamp oh, or is yeah. Or, okay?
1: <laughs> yeah. So there are sections. There are points in the show that are structured where we know we have an out where we can vamp, you know, before we move on to the the next, um, you know, before the next section is triggered because it's all triggered with the keyboards. Um right but you know, then there are points in the show where like once something is triggered, we're in that, we're in that. And we have to either somehow figure out how to get out of it and go back. Uh, and it's not, and I say we, it's really the band leader, the musical director who's right. calling, people well, they're calling the shots and he's the one who, you know, who's at the keyboard going, okay, let's figure out how to get out of here or let's move on and, and jump to the next one. So yeah.
0: Right. Uh, and I, I think the second part of that question was like, is there anything that you've seen in the pit that, like you haven't seen in a show, it sounds very similar with the, like, like as far as like, if there's a live actor and you've, you know, maybe an actor, you know, is late with a costume change or something like that. Um, is there anything that's, that you've seen in Cirque that you haven't seen elsewhere?
1: Um. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't, I had, have, this is my first experience being in a pit first right. of all Okay. at all um as a pit musician um and it's really you know it's it's fascinating especially from the the Cirque du Soleil pit point of view because like I said you are watching the whole show on a big screen and it's not just like from the audience's perspective there's several types there's several cameras from different angles including backstage and down in the different levels of the backstage um and they're like infrared cameras so that you can see what's happening in the dark because of course it's completely dark backstage so you can see all the technicians you know pulling nets and and pulling ropes and and moving set pieces around constantly and presetting for the next act all that stuff's happening underneath the stage of kaw anyway that's what i'm talking about Um, uh, so yeah that's that's a really cool um, perspective that i've never seen before
0: Nice. Uh, the last question, I think you, you just sort of uh, accidentally answered it there. I was asking if there's if there's a full-time conductor or if it's someone who also plays keyboard. And it sounds like you have a keyboard conductor.
1: Yes. So in Mystere, uh, sorry, in Ka, the, the band leader, musical director is a key one, keyboard one. In, in Mystere, um, it was always the bass player who was the band leader.
0: Oh, okay. That's, yeah. that's, di- that's different. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, it may have-
1: over time and, and into the the keyboard now, I think actually one of the backup band leaders for a while in Mr. was the percussionist. Wow. So, yeah, okay. it depends on a person's ability, I suppose.
0: Nice. Um, and so, first of all, uh, listeners, thanks for those questions. Those are very good. That, that covers just about everything I was gonna, going to ask regarding the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the one thing I don't think I asked you already is what is... You know, in a non-COVID year, what is your performance schedule? How many shows in a week?
1: In a non-COVID year,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> it's um, two shows a night, five days a week, so ten shows a week. Um, usually, seven and nine thirty are the show times. Mm. Um, sound check is usually around 5 30, 6 o'clock, um, and then we're usually in the dressing room, you know, taking off makeup and changing back into our clothes to go home around eleven thirty. Okay. Yeah.
0: Nice. And and then, and then that kind of leads me. So talking about a non COVID year, what has your COVID year been like? How have, how have you stayed, been able to stay busy in the last year?
1: Huh? Um, it, it's been challenging. Um, you know, I have, I think, you know, we all have a life outside of work and outside of Cirque. And so I just kind of dug deeper into that, you know, the different aspects of my life. I'm, I'm a mother of a, now a senior in high school so at this point it's all about um choosing the colleges that he's been accepted to and fine-tuning the last bit of financial aid and appealing financial aid because of you know um a decrease in income so there's that i'm um i'm a volunteer with um trauma intervention program of southern nevada it's the acronym is tip tip and um we're basically uh Um, volunteer emergency responders were sort of uh, emotional first aid, if you will. So we're um, dispatched out to calls of tragedy and we're there to help people who have lost a loved one.
0: Okay.
1: Um, Just be with them in the immediate aftermath of a tragedy. And then we offer resources as well to help them move forward.
0: Is Uh, Is your son following in your footsteps with an arts or is he going a different direction?
1: Yeah. Yes, he has. So he uh, attended the Las Vegas Academy of the Performing Arts um, high school as a guitar major. Okay. And now this is his senior year and he's applied to um, six different schools as a guitar major and got into all of them. (laughs) So we're extremely happy. Yeah. Now it's a matter of choosing. Um, So yeah, he's got the, he's got the musician gene um, and he's, incredible at what he does but of course he's also a 17 year old who sort of doesn't really know what he wants to do and that's okay
0: right <laughs>
1: so you know it's like okay let's just stick with what you do know now and get you into the right school and then you know if you want to kind of branch out you'll have all these other options if you get into the right school.
0: i just read a very powerful book by adam grant called think again and it's and it's all about being open to <laughs> rethinking basically everything And uh, as a general practice, and he has a few specific things that he talks about in that book. And one is, uh, we need we need to normalize not always asking kids what they want to be when they grow up. Quit making them, quit forcing them to make that decision at such a young age. And he throws a quote in there, and I'm I'm gonna have to paraphrase it, but I think it's pretty close. It says, um, "People who are most certain." About their career when they're twenty, are often those with the biggest regrets when they're thirty. <laughs> wow! And
1: it, and it yeah. is
0: because you don't know yourself yet. You it's like you you need to explore. So, you know, youth should be let's let's try some different things and let's see I where I have an aptitude, where I have a passion. So,
1: <laughs> no, I I totally agree, and um and that's why it's you know it's it's challenging as a parent to to keep reminding my son that. Um, while he does have this this skill right and this exactly. interest in 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 passion for this skill at this point that and that this skill is is landing him into you know one of you know the best college that he can get into um it doesn't mean that he has to stick with it i mean if he if he wants to and and things pan out and you know the the right connections are made and he wants to stick with it then that's fine but certainly there's a, a, the world at his fingertips right now. And I just, you know, I think I agree with you that,
0: um, yeah. And you don't even to- know where your future market is. I, I had a classmate ask me, uh, regarding this podcast, did you think you would be doing this when you were in college? And it's like, well, considering that there was no such thing as a podcast <laughs> when I was in college, no. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. yeah. And I, I certainly, um, I can speak for myself. I really did not know right <laughs> up from down when I was 20. I mean, really, it took me a while to to get my feet underneath me. And actually it wasn't until I was 26 years old that I was a freshman at university of Idaho mm. at age six as nice. a music. major. I even started off as a business major and dropped out because that was not for me. And then I went back as a music major and realized, no, this is really, <laughs> these are where my roots are and this is where I belong. So I'm going to go for it.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. Um, let's just touch a little bit on your, you know, you've got, you've had a theater life. Uh, you've played Cinderella and in Into the Woods. Uh, yes. you're, you've are you done some opera. You're and Orpheus and Underworld. You've played leads in Oklahoma, Fiddler on the Roof, The Fantastics. Uh, so uh, are, are these from like pre-Circ days or have you fit those into your schedule since since you started circ? Oh,
1: yeah. Those are pre-circ days. Those are um, my college days. Yep. At university of Idaho, um, either, um, during, during a school year, uh, or, um, I would I often stayed in Moscow, Idaho and did summer stock theater. And so a lot of those were from summer stock theater and that's where they would bring in, you know, they would use local, um, actors and musicians, but they would also bring in people from, you know, out of state to, to, uh, to buffer, <laughs> to right, up, you know, the, the talent. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then I have done things here. Um, most of it has been works that Richard Oberacker, the musical director of Kaw has composed, um, because like I said, he's a big time musical theater composer. And so he's written a ton of stuff and often, you know, um, asks those that he knows in the community to, to be part of his productions and, and his works and his projects. So I've been lucky enough to be asked to be part of those as well. And, um, sung backup a couple of times for various, I think, uh, the Smith center, I did backup for, um, Kristen Chenoweth. who's was in a small little choir and we were her backup singers when she came to perform as a special guest here oh, Nice. Um, like that. And then sporting events, national anthem.
0: I think, right. So, yeah, well, I think that's just about it. Uh, I guess the last question is there a timeline? I mean, I assume that Cirque has not resumed yet. Is there a timeline on them coming back?
1: So the last that I heard is that um, the the first two shows that they want to start with are Mystere and O, oh, and they um, are their goal right now is to have them open or at least one of them open by July. Okay. Now, they also have warned us that there's going to be at least an eight-week rehearsal process, you know, leading up to the shows. Um, And things won't be, you know, back at full throttle, obviously, right away. Mm -hmm. We limited capacity in the theaters and probably not back right away to two shows a week. Uh, I'm sorry, two shows a night, you know, Mm -hmm. ten shows a week, maybe just one show a night, maybe not five nights a week as well um and then after mister and O, then the other shows will be staggered and that would be mj1 uh love the beatles show and ka i don't know what order though right so um all i know is that ka right now the sort of the projected date is sometime in the fall winter of 2021
0: okay
1: and i don't know if that means to be open or to start rehearsals i think it means to try to be open
0: well, hopefully by the time we get to you know Christmas, maybe even Halloween, you'll <laughs> you'll be getting back to work, getting back into uh, the full swing of things.
1: I know, I know, I know. I hope so. It's been a long haul.
0: Well, g- good luck with your son choosing his college. Is this his graduating year? Yes. Okay. All right.
1: Yes, year during the pandemic, so I don't. And, you know, they just started this sort of um, hybrid model of going back to classes, and for him, it's just. Um, two days a week on Thursdays and Fridays. And it's only like for a couple of hours in the morning and then they come home and then they have to go back to school on the computer on online once they're home. So, but there's seven weeks, seven weeks of school left of, you know, right. senior year. And then, then we're done. So.
0: Okay. All right. Well, uh, good good luck to him. Good luck to you (laughs) as you're doing that. Oh, well, thank you so much for uh, for taking time to talk to me today. Thanks David. This was fun. And that wraps up episode number 48. Just the usual reminders, if you haven't already. I would love it if you would click the five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and, you know, take a time, leave a review. If you want to leave me some uh, feedback outside of a review or leave a donation or just see what else we have as far as episodes, you can go to davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Looking forward to being with you next Friday for episode 49. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a big special thank you to Mark Perollo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about the podcast, leave feedback, or a donation once again at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.